Right on. Exodus chapter 26. Is that okay, Blake? Am I close enough there? All right. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one around the edges of the room, and it's yours to keep if you need one, all right? Well, as we come to Exodus chapter 26, we're still at Mount Sinai with Moses. Uh, He's up there. He's taken his assistant, Joshua, um, and he's gone into the presence of the Lord and being revealed to Moses while the people are down at the, the foot of Mount Sinai, being revealed to him in the presence of the Lord is heavenly realities. We've been talking about this, the fact that heaven came down to Mount Sinai and Moses saw into those things. And he's been uh, being given specific instructions that he's to follow through on. In fact, in this account, as he's given directions on, on the establishment of how worship is to happen amongst the people of Israel, seven times the Lord tells him, as you've seen on the mountain, you are to go and reproduce this, to build these things as you have seen in heaven, you'll do on earth in a sense. And so when we, when we look into the tabernacle, what we see is a reflection of what it is like to look into heaven, but we also see reflections of what it is like to have relationship with God. And so, you know, as you, as you read this stuff and you read these physical descriptions of a place of worship, we have to understand here once again is that what we're reading is not just physical descriptions there's spiritual realities tucked in and hidden in the midst of it and the beautiful part of it for us as new testament believers followers of jesus christ is that we can come to a passage like exodus chapter 26 we're going to do 26 and 27 this morning and uh, we have jesus and we can look into the tabernacle and we can see so many uh, spiritual realities Last week, and as Moses has been getting these instructions from the Lord, where we started from was God's perspective. God said, I'm going to begin to explain to you what worship looks like from my perspective out, from the Ark of the Covenant out. Then when I begin to speak about the priests and teach you how you're going to enter, I'm going to talk about how man comes back into that place. And so from God's position Looking out, we saw the, the Ark of the Covenant, this, this wooden box laid with gold on the inside and the out, and the Ten Commandments were placed into it, and seated on top of it was this thing called the Mercy Seat, a, a four-by-two rectangle of pure gold that, if it was an inch thick, was in excess of 750 pounds. And then these gold cherubim were placed on top of it, And it was the mercy seat, the atonement cover where the high priest would come into the holy place and apply the the blood of the lamb once a year. Next, the Lord began to describe the the table of showbread, the table of the bread of presence where the priest would place each week uh, uh, 12 12 loaves of bread in the presence of the Lord, speaking of God's provision and, of course, Jesus who, who said, I am the bread of life. And then there are also was the lampstand, uh, 
this candelabra, this lampstand with seven lights on it that that gave light uh, to the holy place. And so the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, and the lampstand, and each of them were designed to be uh, movable pieces. In particular, the Ark of the Covenant and the table of showbread had these, these rings attached to them so that they could be picked up and carried by poles. And the work of the priests in regards to the lampstand was, you know, to, to keep the wicks, you know, trimmed and burning and to move these things as well. And so, you know, it's interesting that they could be picked up and they could be moved. And I would say it's, it's kind of like a relationship with the Lord is like that. It was, you don't touch these things, but you bring them with you wherever you go. And, and Jesus is like that. You know, it's like the relationship, our relationship with God is not something we touch, but it's something that is born in us and that we carry in us the presence of God, his spirit, these things as spiritual realities. We ourselves have become the temple of God, as the New Testament teaches us. You know, yesterday, I had the privilege of going out to mission, and I, I did a graveside for a, a friend of mine, his, his, uh, for his brother. And um, we were out there, and I thought, Lord, I don't, I don't know what kind of situation I'm going into. You know, sometimes as a pastor, you go, and, and you guys have situations like this in life. I, I go into certain things, and I think, man, I, God, what do you want to do here? I, I don't know a lot of these people. I don't know if people love you and know you here or whether they're far from you or where they're at. And so often I just go in and I pray, God, I just want to be your presence there, tangible presence of God in this situation. I want to be your grace. You, Lord, just help me represent you in the words that I share or whatever it is. And, and, you know, afterwards, when it's all said and done and we're yapping about different things and people are saying things, and I just think, man, God, it's awesome that you give us the privilege as Christians to carry the presence of God into situations, and into places. And so, in this sense here, this morning, I want to talk about the dwelling place of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the tabernacle where he goes. Now, you know, because we carry the presence of the Lord. And our heart should be less of me, Lord, and more of you. Now, when the Lord begins to instruct Moses, like I said, regarding the work of the priest, the perspective is going to change. The Lord is going to talk about how you come back into my presence. But at this point, he is talking from his presence out, all right? And he's going to begin to describe for Moses, and Moses is going to tell us about, or Moses is going to see these things, and he's going to describe for us uh, this, this tabernacle. Now, a tabernacle is, is simply this. It's a, it's a it could be a fixed or it can be a movable habitation, a dwelling place, a meeting place for the Lord. In Genesis, you know, chapter 1 through 11, you have the account of creation. You have the fall of uh, mankind into sin and, and that rebellion. You have all sorts of crazy stories about, you know, the flood the ark, God bringing destruction, the Tower of Babel. You got this crazy story in those early chapters of the Bible where it talks about 
the sons of God falling in love with the sons of men and creating offspring. And there's all these different things and a ton is crammed into these few chapters. When you look at Genesis chapter 1 to 11, if you read your Bible, you know that. It's like, holy smokes, we are moving really quick here, Lord. And and as much as the Bible tells us about creation and seven days and all of these things, there's a lot of detail left out. And, you know, I would say this, it's, it's for this reason. God is, God leaves a lot for us to speculate. You know, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bible guy. Uh, I'm like, you know, if you ask me and we get into a conversation, now we're not all going to agree here, but I'm going to tell you, I believe in a literal seven day creation period and young earth. And I could rant on and on and, but, but the reality is this, is that the Lord leaves a lot of details out. You know, I, Genesis chapter one through three moves so quickly and, and so many things happens so fast. But the opposite is true when we come to this text that we're at now. When God begins to describe for his people the tabernacle, he doesn't leave any details out. You know that if you've read it in your quiet time. You're like, seriously, Lord enough detail already. Can we not move on? We get it, you know. But the question, I guess, is this, is do we really get it? See, God is making something very clear and important to his people as he describes this tent and this tabernacle and the ark and all of these things and the priests, and it's telling us something about God that is very important, about his nature, about his character, it's, it's telling us that to the Lord, the tabernacle is very, very important. The details of the tabernacle matter to God because here's why. The dwelling place of God matters. You know, in the garden, it was just established. It wasn't details. It was in a short time, the Lord created and he made man and he walked with Adam in the cool of the day and they were friends and they hung out and it was creator with his creation and it was beautiful and it was good. And sin destroyed that. And it is the heart of God we see in the scripture always to be with his people, to be with his creation, to be in their their midst, To the Lord, eternal life is important. To have relationship with him is important. And so in the establishing of a dwelling place, God is saying to his people, and he would say to us this morning, where I dwell matters. Where I am present with people matters. I want to be with you. I want to be in your midst. Of course, so much did the dwelling of God matter to him that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that no one should perish, but that we should have, that whosoever should believe in him should have eternal life. Even Jesus communicated this desire of God never to be away from his creation. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He said, I'm going to go, I'm going to send you the spirit. And not only, I'm going to come back. Because God longs to be with his people. You know, in John chapter 1, verse 14, we read this. Very famous words that we're familiar with. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, 
Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. In John chapter 1, verse 14, that word, he dwelt among us, is literally, literally this word. He tabernacled among us. He came and he dwelled with his people. He tabernacled. Of course, Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. And so as we come into this portion of the story, I think it's, it's important that we recognize the efforts that God makes to be with his people. I, I hope that you will, you will see that. And I think, you know, I think we counter it in our church and in current church culture, but, you know, somewhere over the millennia, the church adopted this wrong concept of almost calling the church God's house, the building God's house. But the church is not God's house. I mean, the building is not God's house. God does not dwell in buildings. He does not dwell, you know, in structures that are man-made, you know, or ornate big churches. I, I was so blown away on our trip just back to Ontario there, a little while ago, driving into these older communities and everything's just, you know, 100, 150 years older than here on the West Coast. And the churches, the or- I, I was stunned. Every, I think I was totally annoying to my wife. Look at that church. Look at that church. God does not dwell in buildings. And Solomon recognized that when he built a temple in Jerusalem to the Lord. He said, the heavens can't contain you. The heavens cannot contain you. How can I build with my hands a house that you will dwell in? But nevertheless, he built a house, a meeting place for the people to meet with God and God came in his grace and his presence was there. See, I would say this this morning to us, God's dwelling is in us. As Paul said, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? And so as we get to this story of the tabernacle, a couple things. You want to throw that picture up for us, Calvin? He's sleeping back there. I woke him up. I woke him up. Next time, Dino, go kick his chair. <laughs> awesome. Um, little photo just to try and help some of the things that we're going to go over this morning. This tabernacle was at the center of the camp of Israel. Um, Essentially, the Bible tells us that at the center, at, from the cent, this was the, the center place of the people of God. And from there on the four sides of this space, God placed three of the tribes of Israel. If you were to take a bird's eye view over that space, what you'd see is, and, and you could even map this out in, in your own reading. If you, if you measure the sizes of the tribes and you just put them in the allotment that the Bible explains... What you see from an overhead view is the shape of a cross with the tabernacle at at the center. Entrance was on the east side, and the the tribe closest to the entrance was the tribe of Judah. Of course, Judah means praise. That's appropriate. For to enter the courtyard of the Lord You come with praises, right? That's what the Bible teaches us. You come through the tribe of Judah, and of course, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Entrance into the tabernacle 
is through Jesus. And so as we come to this description of the tabernacle with some of those things in mind, um, we're going to read so much detail and we're just going to scratch it. We're just going to do a, a quick read and a breeze over this morning. But as we talk about these things, the first thing that the Lord is going to begin to describe is the curtains that made up this tabernacle. And in your mind, the reason why I wanted to throw a picture up for you is this, is you, you got to, in your head, really picture a tent. That's what it was. It, w- it was a tent, and there are layers to this tent. So let's check it out. Verse 1. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twi- twined linen, linen and, purple, and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully woven into them. Now again, we are talking from the Lord's perspective. So we are making our way from the inside to the outside. So this is the first layer on the inside. This is the layer that you would see if you were inside the tabernacle what would you see on the roof of the tent? And it's described to us here. Ten curtains. These curtains are going to be uh, linked together with loops and clasps of gold. They're going to form one, one large whole unit. Of course, ten is the number of human responsibility. We've, we've seen it in the Ten Commandments, the laws that God gave to his, his children. We saw ten in the number of plagues when when. Uh, Pharaoh ignored the warnings to himself and to the nation of Egypt and failed to let the people go. The ten is associated with the number of human responsibility. And, and woven into this beautiful linen is, is blue, the color of heaven, the color of eternity, purple, a, a color of royalty. It speaks of the kingship of Jesus. A scarlet or red, which speaks of the sacrifice which Jesus Christ made. And then woven into the midst of this beautiful, it's a skillfully woven in. You ever seen tapestries and works? Woven into this were the cherubim, angelic figures. So that when you came into the tabernacle and you looked up, you, you, you saw these, this beautiful tapestry of, of red and, and purple and blue, and these angelic figures. And it's a neat picture because it's like coming into the very presence of God, coming into heaven. Uh, We know that that there are angels in the presence of God, that they are his ministers. Even even now, should the Lord open our our spiritual, there's angels present here. You know, the New Testament tells us that essentially the angels are, not only the servants of, of men as God directs them, but they also uh, watch in awe as God works his grace and his truth in our lives. They, they, don't, they don't have the decision to, to choose God like, like we do, but they, they sit in the grandstands and they're amazed at the work of God in our lives and they, they learn about the presence of God and the nature of God in deeper ways as they watch his grace and his mercy with us his human creation. And so you just picture that as you come into the presence of God. In verse 2, it says, the length of each curtain, some of these will, will, will bite off in big chunks here. The length, and you're like, you're like, thank you. Thank you. Verse 2, the length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits. Remember, a cubit is 18 inches, okay? Elbow to fingertip. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. 
All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and you shall make loops of blue on the edge of of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. Details matter to the Lord. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite of one another. And you shall make fifty clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to the other with clasps so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. So we get it here. There's five, ten curtains. Five are linked together in one set. Five are linked together in the other set. And then they're all linked together to create this first part of the tent on the inside. Whoops. And one side of each of these curtains had loops. They were blue. And the other side of the curtain had clasps. And they were, they were gold. Of course, blue is the picture of heaven, eternity. Gold, as we've talked about, this is a picture of deity, of purity, of the work of God. And so it's saying this is a work of God. This, with eternity in mind, God is doing these things. Of course, 50 reminds us of the work of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. Or it reminds us of the year of Jubilee, really salvation, where after every 50th year in the nation of Israel, the the year of Jubilee would come and, and debts would be canceled. Slates would be cleared and everyone would be given freedom. And so these, these loops in these class remind us that of, of, of salvation being a work of God. I would say, you know, if salvation was a work of man, the class would have been made of wood. But they're made of gold, saying this is a work of God. And so fit together as a whole unit, what they had was the ability to clasp and unclasp because this was a portable tent a portable worship place they could disassemble it really quickly pack up and move and follow the presence of God to the next place he was leading them in the in the wilderness and then they could set it up again and the linen here what we're going to see is this first layer was not to touch the ground all right it was suspended above the ground then we come to the second layer that went on top of the first it says you shall make curtains verse 7 you shall make curtains of goat's hair for a tent to cover the tabernacle, 11 curtains shall you make. So the second set is now, co- it's, it's not linen, nice, you know, it's not like bed sheets. It's what you never want to lay on. It's goat's hair, okay? It's coarse, it's rough, it's likely got lots of darkness in its color. It's, it's not, you know, it's just goat's hair turned into this fabric. Verse 8 says, the length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain, four cubits. The 11 curtains shall be the same size. Now, just, just point this out as we're moving through here. I'm just going to point lots of, try to point lots of things out. Based on the measurements here, we see that the second set of curtains is larger than the first set uh, by three feet. Okay, So when you get the overlap going on, this set of curtains now extends over the length of the first set. All right? Verse 9. You shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is on the outermost in the one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is on the outermost of the second set. You shall make clasps of bronze. 
and put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be a single whole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, here it's, it's speaking of the overhang, the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle and the extra that remains in the length of the curtains, the cubit on one side and the cubit on the other side, 18 inches on either side, shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that to cover it. A couple quick things to point out. Bronze clasps. Did you notice that? They're not gold. They're bronze. Bronze speaks of judgment. Okay? Of course, we recall, we haven't got to this story yet, but there's a time when in discipline against Israel's rebellion against the Lord, the Lord sends serpents into the camp of Israel. Remember that story? And they begin to go amongst the people and they begin to bite the people and people are dying. And Moses begins to cry out to the Lord and the Lord tells him to take bronze, to fashion a serpent, to put it up on a pole, make a cross, and that as people are bitten and they look, they will be saved. They will be healed. And God began to save his people from the snake bites by looking. And so the bronze speaks of a judgment that is coming against something. They remind us, really, this, this goat's hair, this, this rough fabric reminds us actually of sin. And that Jesus will pay the price for the judgment against sin. So that's the second layer. It extends over the reach of the first layer, and it touches the ground. Uh, also, you probably noticed, maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't. I don't know. You got to read through this a lot to get your head around it. There were 11 curtains rather than 10 curtains, and one was folded over to create a doorway over the tabernacle. And so likely this curtain was probably black, made of goat's hair, okay? Third and fourth layer are mentioned really quick in verse 14. And you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and a covering of goat skins on top. So the third layer is tanned ram skins. Reminds me of Genesis chapter 22. Remember what happened in Genesis chapter 22? Abraham, by command of the Lord, took his son that was promised by him, by, by the Lord, and he took him to Mount Moriah, and he took him up to the top of Mount Moriah where the Lord says, you're, you're going to offer your son as a sacrifice to me. And so Abraham, in faith, went in obedience to the Lord. It's a hard, I, I cannot comprehend this story. That's the point of this story because imagine God did this for us in sending his son. Abraham took his son, he bound Isaac, and he set him on the altar. And as he raised his knife, to take his son's life, it's like God reached out and stopped his hand. And he said, look, I'll, I'll provide myself for a sacrifice. Look, a ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham released Isaac and he went and he took that ram and he was sacrificed in Isaac's place. It's a picture of uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, and so here we have the tanned ram skins. They've got a scarlet color to them, and they remind us of the work of the cross and what Jesus did on our behalf. The fourth layer, a covering of goat skins, was essentially for this, it, it had a, a practical function, and it was this, it waterproofed this whole tabernacle. It made it waterproof, and, you know, I just think 
it was also this. It was ugly. You know, it's not like, it's just skins sewed together and laid on top of this whole unit. And, you know, if you were to look at this tabernacle from, from the inside, you'd see this beauty, the cherubim, the colors. But if you looked at it from the outside, it was nothing spectacular. It just looked like another tent. You know, Isaiah prophesied this about Jesus, that he had no form or majesty that we should look on him and no beauty that we should desire him. See, Jesus was, when he clothed himself in human flesh, he was a common man. He looked like you and he looked like me. On the physical outside, he did not stand out uh, different from anyone else. He was just another tent amongst the tents of Israel in a sense. But what was on the inside was something very different. And so all told, we have this structure. It's, it's 45 feet long and it's 15 feet wide. And it's a picture of Jesus. Layer one, you know, the internal beauty of Jesus Christ. You know, that second layer, covered by humanity for which there's a price that needs to be paid. The third layer, layer he, he gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin. The fourth layer, a common appearance like everyone else. John 14 again, he dwelt among us. He, he tabernacled. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Verse 15, now we come to the walls of this tent. You shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall be the length of a frame and a cubit and a half for the breadth of each frame. Boy, koinonia is going to be really exciting this week. <laughs> it will be. Verse 17. There shall be two tenons in each frame for fitting together so that so shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames for the tabernacle, 20 frames for the south side, 40 bases of silver shall you make under the 20 frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. For the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, 20 frames for the and there 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame and two bases under the next frame. And for the rear of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six frames. And, she, and you shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear. They shall be separate beneath, but joined at the top at, at the first ring. Thus shall it be with both of them. They shall form the, the two corners. Verse 25. And there shall be eight frames with their two bases of silver, 16 bases, two bases under one frame, and two bases under the other frame. And you guys got that, right? We just move on. <laughs> Not quite. So walls now. Underneath this tent structure, the Lord is going to establish walls here. And they're built of acacia wood. They're, they're then designed with a mortise and a tenon, I guess, they, they, they join together so that they fit one to another and they form one whole wall. They're, they're uh, a, did it say a cubit and a half? They're 27 inches wide, basically, 
is a structure of wall, and then it clips into the next one, clips into the next one, and you got 20 of these forming uh, 45 feet or, you know, ballpark there. It's 45 feet. And these frames stood up in silver bases to form the wall of the tabernacle. Now, again, silver, we talked about it last week, silver is the price of redemption. Remember, you paid 30 pieces of silver for a slave. Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And the picture is this, wood walls sitting in silver bases and redemption is holding up that which is natural from the earth. It's you and I, we stand in God's redemption, his work. That's, that's the basis on which we can stand before God. And so it's this picture of humanity standing in silver bases. And the result was that you put these frames together and you got this 40 by, 45 by 15 rectangle with walls that were 15, high, 15 feet high. And on the east end of it was the, the opening. And then these frames were then overlaid with pure gold. So just imagine this in your mind. If you were to go into the tabernacle, you come in, you get uh, the lampstand, the table of showbread, this tapestry above you of blue and purple and red with cherubim sewn into it, and the walls are wooden, but they're overlaid with pure gold. Again, this picture that on the outside... Not very attractive, but on the inside, a a beauty that is probably pretty hard to describe. This meeting place with God and his people. I I was thinking about it, you know, imagine the lampstand lit. Just seven lamps, but the walls of gold and the brightness that was in the midst of that room. There there was no need for light from the outside because it, it just shone. I think about their their enemies, you know, the Amorites, these different people. You know, to them, they look in and all they see at the center of this camp, like I said, is this this thing that doesn't look attractive, but they have no idea the beauty that is on the inside, this place where the people of God worship. Just, yeah, hidden beneath the common. Verse 26. He's going to describe bars. Wooden bars that hold this whole structure together. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames on the one side of the tabernacle and five for the frames on the other side of the tabernacle. And the five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar halfway up the frame shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold and shall make their rings of gold for holders for, holders for the bars. And you shall overlay the bars with gold. Wooden core, overlaid uh, with gold. Again, I think, you know, in a way, it, it, it is, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. And, you know, it, the tabernacle is teaching us. Remember, the tabernacle is teaching us about the order of, of the earth and how things structure in the earth. And so these bars hold it all together, which reminds me of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says this about Jesus He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and and, and invisible. 
and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And verse 17 says this, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And I love these bars that wrapped it because it's just holding all things together. It's a picture of Jesus who holds you and I together, the world together, all of history together, the future. It, he holds it all together. Verse 30. You shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan that you were shown on the mountain. On the mountain. Now again, seven times Moses is told this. Do it as you see on the mountain. And so we have this structure. It's, it's 45 feet long. It's 15 feet wide. It's 15 feet high on the inside, the height of the walls plus the peak. And inside this, we're going to read here, it was divided into two parts. We know this, right? There was the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, two different rooms. The most holy, the Holy Place, was at the back. And it was 15 feet wide by 15 feet in depth and 15 feet in height, uh, a cube. Reminds me of the shape of the heavenly Jerusalem that the Lord says is going to come down from heaven when he restores all things. That in God's design, the cube is, you know, I don't know. It's awesome. What do you say? I don't know. It's his design, his ultimate design. And that's what the new Jerusalem will be in the shape of a cube. And so this room, this holy place is in a shape of a cube after, after the things seen in heaven. And in there is the Ark of the Covenant on top of the Ark of the Covenant, that gold mercy seat. In front of that room, the room that you would first come to is the holy place. It's 30 feet long by 15 feet wide. And there, in there, that space is the table and the lampstand. The table is on the right side as you come in. The lampstand is on the left side as you enter. And separating these two rooms was a veil. A curtain, uh, 15 feet high, hanging there. When Herod renovated the temple that was in place at Jesus' time, where all of these items were, uh, Josephus records, because the temple was much bigger than the tabernacle, Josephus records that the curtain was 80 feet tall and 10 inches thick. Some people say that veil, some historians record that it was 18 inches thick. We remember what happened to that curtain, right? When Jesus died, what happened? It was rent in two, torn in two. Verse 31. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. Like I said, when, when Jesus died on the cross, the New Testament tells us one of the miracles was this, is that the earth shook, the sky went black. The gospels tell us many righteous people came out of their tombs and went and gave witness to the Lord. And the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn in two. It, giving this message that access to God is no longer restricted. That access to God is now open to all. That access to God is not just limited to a high priest once a year who must come with blood, but Jesus, as our great high priest, entered the, the tabernacle in heaven and he brought his blood and he made atonement for our sin. 
and forever, forever, the veil is torn and we have access through Jesus Christ. Open to all. Speaking of this veil, it says in verse 32, You shall hang it on four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. Look at all these pictures of redemption, of deity, of Jesus, that, that he is the access into the holy place. Verse 33, You shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the, most, the holy place from the most holy place. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table. And you shall put the table on the north side. So this veil of hanging cloth... Separating these two rooms. Now you imagine, I kept going, okay, Lord, what, what's the perspective of a worshiper coming, you know? You imagine what you saw as you came into the courtyard and as a distant person, maybe you're, you're not a priest, you don't have access to all that stuff, but what you saw, if you could look in. And what you would see is, is obviously the, the bright shining light, but at the back wall that, that you would see, separating you from the most holy place is this veil. And, and so I just imagine that it, that it was beautiful, that it was a touching thing for a worshiper to, to go, oh, look at that. And, and sewn in to that were these cherubim, which goes back really, the picture for us goes back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord and they were separated from his presence, to stop access to the tree of life. See, death is, death is actually an act of grace by God. Because if he continued to give them access to eternal life, they would live in an eternal separation, an eternal state of separation from him. And so to cut off access to the tree of life God placed in front of the entrance to the Garden of Eden, what? Two cherubim. And they guarded the way to eternal life so that God could deal with this issue of fixing his dwelling place so that he could be with his creation. God, God guarded the way in. And so if you were looking into the tabernacle, you saw this reminder of uh, the, the closed off state of access to the tree of life. But thank God, through our Savior, Jesus Christ, the veil is torn in two. That we have everlasting life. That we have been given the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That we have access to the Father. That the sting of death is gone. You know, when Jesus was raised from the dead and this tragedy happened in the minds of the priests and the religious leaders in Jerusalem, that the veil was torn in two, they... They took that veil, and I, I don't know exactly what they did, but somehow they rehung it, and they mended it, and they put it back in its place. And, you know, even today, there are those who are menders, veil menders. You know, they sew the curtain back together. They lay trips on people. 
you know, they tack on religion. They add works. They say, no, it's Jesus and this. No, it's Jesus and this. No, you, you, you have faith in Jesus, but now you need to add this and you need to do this and you need to do this. And they're, they're like, yeah. They put a religious trip on people. They say, Jesus and. You know, I'm so glad that the New Testament teaches us that there is no Jesus and. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He tore the veil and it's that simple. We come in faith and he forgives us and we have access to God. Aren't you glad it's just Jesus? No veil. Verse 36. You shall make, now, now we move, again, we're, we're moving out from the, the center now and we come to this screen that's at the first room. You shall make a screen, verse 36, you shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine uh, twinned, twined linen. That word always wants to trip me up. Embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia, overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. Bases of bronze rather, rather than silver. Again, we see the work of Jesus. He was, he, he, bore our judgment in his body on the tree. And Jesus proclaimed this. He said, I'm the door. I am the gate. You know, whether it's access into the most holy place, it's through me. The screen resembled the the veil and it was access into the holy place. It's through me, Jesus. Peter said, as he preached in the book of Acts, he said in chapter four, there's no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved but the name of Jesus. Jesus claimed, I I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the access point at all areas here. Now we come to chapter 27, the bronze altar. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad, and the altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. So if we translate that into uh, our imperial, sorry kids, uh, seven by seven, this square, it's four and a half feet high. And uh, as you came towards the tabernacle and are entering, Uh, This is the first thing that you would see. Let me step away from the mic. So as you access this place and begin to come to the tabernacle, you you come to this bronze altar. Bronze, again, is is judgment. It's the place where the sacrifices were were made, where blood was shed and, and collected and eventually brought into the most holy place. And it, of course, speaks of the cross, right? That's our altar. The same is true for us. Before we ever get access to the Father, it starts by coming to the altar of the cross and acknowledging the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for our sins that we might have forgiveness and access to the Father. And so through the blood of the sacrifice, access was gained. You know, you think about other religions, other things people are into, whatever. I think about, you know, my personal thing I don't like in our culture, political correctness, where it's like, you know, there's no altar. It's just don't offend anyone. 
you don't need an altar. Just don't offend. Don't just, just don't, you know, just be nice. Be nice. But, but the Bible teaches us something very different. It's not like be nice. It's not don't offend. We preach sin. We preach blood sacrifice for the atonement of our sin. We preach repentance and we preach life through Jesus Christ. See, the reality is, is that mankind is desperately wicked. You know, we don't, we don't understand the, what wretched sinners we are and how far we are separated from God. And God calls us and he, he sets his affection on us and he says, I want to dwell with you. I want to have relationship with you. I don't want to be separated from you. I'm going to make a way so that you and I can restore this broken relationship. But we got to deal with your rebellion. We got to deal with your sin. And Jesus Christ, he gave his life on the cross. He shed his blood. He made atonement for us. And when we place our faith in him and we turn in in faith and in repentance from our sin and in faith to Jesus, we are given the gift of eternal life. It's just a beautiful thing that God has set his affections on us, though we were sinful. When we were still yet in our sins, God demonstrated his love for us that he sent Jesus. And you know, as followers of Jesus, our self-worth, our self-value, our self-esteem, it, it comes from the value that God has set on you and I. Imagine it, to be loved by God. To be loved by God that he would say, let me come and make my home in you. Let me put my spirit in you. Let, be my temple. Be my dwelling place. Let me tabernacle inside of you. You, I will make you my son and my daughter and I will adopt you into my family. And you know, that's a great place to get your self-worth, to find your value to find your, your identity in life. You know, I said, I get my self-worth and my identity from my dad, my father in heaven, because of who he is. You know, think of other religions. Maybe they don't have an altar. It's just, maybe they do. But it's, it's all about self-effort. I'm so happy the more I get to know Jesus I just want to get rid of self-effort. I just want to quit striving in my flesh. I just want to rest. I want to rest in the work of the cross and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, uh, we, just, we just don't get any closer to heaven or any closer to God by our striving. But by learning to, to let him work by our spirit, by his spirit in our lives. And, and you know, all we had to do was ask for forgiveness. What an awesome thing. All we had to do was place our faith in Jesus, asking for forgiveness. And, and then he just begins to work by his spirit and, and teaches us to stop striving. Verse 2 says, speaking of the, the bronze altar, you shall, you shall make horns for it on its four corners, and its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. These horns were used for this purpose, to tie down the sacrifice. 
Jesus was tied to the cross. We have to think, well, he was nailed there. But the reality is, is the nails didn't hold him there. What held Jesus to the cross was his love. He was tied there by his love for you and his love for me. And, and the crowd stood there and they mocked him and they said, he saved others. Why does he get off the cross and save himself? And, and as they declared those things, they had no idea that, that they, they, they failed to understand that if he saved himself, he could not save them. And so his love for them tied them there. Verse 3 says, you shall make pots for it and receive its ashes and shovels and basins and forks and fire pans. You shall make all of its utensils of bronze. You shall also make for it grating, a network of bronze. And on the net, and on the net you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. And you shall set it under the ledge of the altar so that the net extends halfway down the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. And the poles shall be put through the rings so that the poles are on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. And you shall make it hollow with boards. And it shall be, and it has been shown, as it has been shown on the mountain, so shall it be made. Do it like you're seeing it, Moses. This altar was portable. You know, Jesus said this. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. And, you know, for us, the cross is like, it's, it's our portable altar. You know, we, I need to, you and I, we need to spend time at the cross every day to remind ourselves of, of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. And, and we need to carry the cross with us wherever we go. You know, we, we take up our cross and follow me. Or I think of, you know, the altar, the table of communion. Last Sunday, we, we, we celebrated the Lord's Supper. It's, it's kind of the same idea. You know, receive the work that Jesus did for you on the cross wherever you're at. You know, we could take communion anywhere. At home, at a visiting church, this, that. I mean, you can have communion with the Lord. And so as it has been shown you on the mountains, so shall it be made. Uh, verse 9, the court of the tabernacle. We'll, we'll go quick here at the end. You guys are awesome. See, what kind of church could you go to and get verse by verse through Exodus 26 and 27? And you all showed up. Thank you, Lord. It's the work of the Spirit. <laughs> verse 9, you shall make the court of the tabernacle on the south side. The court shall have hangings of fine uh, twi twined linen, a hundred cubits long for one side, it's 20 pillars and their 20 bases shall be of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise for its length on the north side, there shall be hangings of 100 cubits long, its pillars 20 and their bases 20 of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And for the breadth of the cord on the west side, there shall be hangings of 50 cubits, 10 pillars and 10 bases. The breadth of the cord on the front to the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings for one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits. And there shall be three pillars and three bases. And on the other side, the hangings shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and three bases. That was a mouthful. Uh, essentially, this is a courtyard, a tent that surrounds this whole tabernacle. You can see it here. It's the outside perimeter in the picture, okay? It was 100, 100 and 50 feet in length, and it was 75 uh, feet in, in width. 
the long sides were on the north and the south. The entrance was on the east side. Boy, you've been to Jerusalem? How many of you guys came to Israel with us? We went to the eastern gate where the Bible prophesies the Messiah, Jesus, will come again. And those gates will be sealed shut until he appears and he walks through them once again and rules on this earth. Gate was on the east. What's interesting is you, I look at this, I go 150 feet by 75. That's the whole thing. I mean, 45, this tent, 45 feet by 15 feet. And surrounding this, living with this at the center of their lives with some like two to three million people in the camp of Israel. And just logistically, I go, how did that work? How do you have that many people worship in that little space? Don't you kind of wonder that? Is Like, I mean, if you think about some of the realities of that, and I, I just wonder, it seems so small, and, and, and maybe it's because the Lord knew that few people make time to worship. You know, I think of our community. Really thankful that we're here, but there's few people in this community that make time to worship God. That, that, when it, I, mean, I mean, ideally, we need a church of 5,000 for Gibsons, right? But few made time for worship. Verse 16. For the gate at the court, there should be a screen 20 cubits long of of blue and purple and scarlet yarns of fine twin twin linen embroidered with needlework. It shall have four pillars with four bases. And so the door into the courtyard was made of the same fabric as the veil. It was made as the same fabric that was entrance into the holy place. And, you know, whether you walk through the door into the courtyard or the door into uh, the tabernacle or the door into the most holy place, the place of worship, it was all the same door. Did you get that? Jesus. It was all the same door. If you went into the place of salvation, the courtyard, the entrance was through Jesus. If you went into the place of service in the tabernacle, the entrance was Jesus. If you went into the place of worship, the most holy place, the entrance was Jesus. I am the door, he said. All Jesus. Verse 17. We'll get to the end here. All the pillars, and you guys are, amen. All the pillars around the court shall be uh, filleted with, filleted with silver. This is going to fish. Their hooks shall be of silver and their bases of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, the breadth, fit, breadth 50, and the height 5 cubits, with the hangings of fine twined linen and the bases of bronze and all the utensils and the tabernacle for every use and all its pegs and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. Verse 20, and you shall command the people of Israel that they bring to me. So now the Lord is going to, now, now it begins to change. That was from my perspective, God says, now from your perspective. And we'll start to see this next week. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light that the lamp may be regularly that the lamp may regularly be set up to burn. Look the Lord just says this, when you come to my presence, when you come to the tabernacle, you're not to come empty-handed. You bring oil for the lamp. You come not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing. And the priest would make sure that the lamp was working and that it was trimmed and and ready to rock and they would keep it going. But the people were called to bring the oil. And he says, bring beaten 
oil. Bring beaten olive oil, not pressed. Christ was beaten. Bring beaten olive oil. He was beaten and the Holy Spirit was poured out. Verse 21. In the tent of the, last verse, in the tent of the meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. Look, what was God worried about? His dwelling place, his meeting place, his habitation, his temple. And Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? It's an awesome thought to just take this whole concept of the temple and say, this is what my life is to be. Not only is this a description of Jesus Christ, but this is what my life is supposed to become, a habitation, a dwelling place uh, for, for God and for his spirit. And so this morning, it's appropriate that we take some time and we just worship as we close. I'm gonna invite Marie and Beth to come on up here. And maybe you're here and you say, man, wow, I don't know where I'm at with Jesus. Look, I wanna, I wanna tell you, as we see clearly in the tabernacle, it's not Jesus' end. You don't have to add anything to Jesus. The, the, the word of God tells us that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That is an awesome thing. Forgiven. N not only forgiven in this life, but given the gift of eternal life. Not only that, but then becoming your very self, the dwelling place of the eternal God, where he gives you his spirit to dwell in you. And so, you know, this morning, you, if you don't know Jesus, as we worship, I, I would encourage you to just pray, Jesus, I see it. You're the door. You're the access point. Would you forgive me of my sin and come into my life? Make me your dwelling place. Amen? Let's stand this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in Revelation you told us you walk amongst the candlesticks. Your church, Jesus, you're here, you're present. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Welcome, Savior, God, Lord of our lives. We welcome you and we worship you in Jesus' name.